Paglianzi, Kuvanga Angela Starts, and welcome to Real Indigenous. I'm here with uh, my regular co-hosts, if you'll introduce yourselves. This is Noetta Harjo. Maduwika, this is Sunrise Tipikani. And we have a very special guest with us today, if you'd introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Nyla Inukshuk. Happy to be here. And tell us a little bit about what you do. I am a filmmaker, I guess. Um, <laughs> I do lots of things. I'm a bit, I guess, a professional nerd, um, but I love <laughs> movies. And uh, I'm here in Oklahoma to, to screen my movie Slashback. And we are so excited. Thank you. And the whole thing sold out in a day. <laughs> so that was amazing. It's really, it's really nice to be here, and it's, it's been great to just hang out with uh, Native people from, from a different place. And where are you from originally? I'm originally from Igloo Lake, a community way up in the Arctic in Nunavut in Canada. And are you still living up there? or? No, I live in Toronto these days. Um, I'm going back up to my home community of Igloo Lake next week to show the movie. Uh, my dad, and I've got sisters and a brother that still live up there, and my aunties, and so I'm going to show the movie to my home community and uh, I'm really excited but also nervous. <laughs> um, we've, so, we've shown the movie a bunch up, up in Nunavut already but this is the, the first time I'm showing it with my home community so uh -huh. that'll be really nice. So where, where did you shoot it? We shot in the community of Pang. It's, this, uh, it's about the same size as my home community, about 1,500 people. The way Nunavut is kind of um, We've got our capital city of Iqaluit, which is 7,000 people, so it's a small city. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of have to fly up to Iqaluit in order to access the smaller communities. And then you get onto smaller planes, and then you fly to, to the communities of about 1,500 people. Um, and, and so these are fly-in only. There's no roads. Even Iqaluit, which is the capital city, the longest road is called Road to Nowhere because <laughs> it just at one point ends and then becomes tundra. So it's, um, and my nephews are from the community of Pang. It's this place that I've totally fallen in love with. I made a documentary there when I was in college and that's kind of the first time I ever visited. Um, then my, my brother ended up falling in love with someone there and having kids and so um, for me when I was having a chance to make a movie, a kids movie that of felt like the movies I watched growing up but it, it was just exciting to me to to be able to to make a movie for my nephews and have this alien invasion movie that was set in their hometown and Pang's like pretty far out right like it's it's almost on the boundary of like the ocean yeah right? it's basically um you can walk to the arctic circle from mm -hmm. Pang, and our crew oh, did yeah. on one of our days off yeah. they they did a trek and uh and walk to the Arctic Circle. And that's the other great thing about where we were. It's like this stunning, beautiful, and remote place. And in, 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 in the summertime, 24-hour sunlight. In the wintertime, 24-hour darkness. Um, and so when we had time off, we could go out and be walking in, in the fjords, or, or you know, hunters would take us out on their boats. It was a really, really special place to be making a movie. I just can't imagine the logistics of having to get all of the equipment yeah. out there. <laughs> that was a real challenge. Was it a huge challenge? Yeah, we were actually told when, so I, I love this place and, and, and I told people about it, but we had talked to a, uh, another producer in Toronto that had mentioned to us that they had tried to shoot in Penn before. They'd scouted it and basically determined that it was impossible to film there. 
and it was basically true. <laughs> we, um, the, the community itself, like a lot of these Arctic communities, there's housing crisis. There's not enough homes for the people that actually live there. It's, uh, homes are made of wood. There's no wood or trees in Nunavut. So every, all the building materials have to be sent up. It's, um, so it's expensive to build homes. And, and so this community, for us to be coming in with the crew, is going to be a real imposition. And this is a place where all of their groceries are flown in by plane or else brought in by ships in the summer and those don't come in till like late summer and so it's like at in the springtime and in the early summer when we were filming it's like the prices in grocery stores are really high because there's like food scarcity and so we had to be organizing for our own groceries to be brought into the community we um, there's no restaurants in town so all of our meals were served in the high school gym breakfast lunch and dinner and we actually all of our crew lived in either the high school or the grade school. We shipped out 60 beds and mattresses and turned all the classrooms <laughs> into bedrooms for our crew, which, is, which means that our production timeline had to happen during the time when school was out, because yeah. that was the only time when we could have enough space for us to live in Pang. And the principals were luckily let us live there. We moved, it, which is crazy to think of, uh, allowing all these adults in, to, into your school for an entire summer, mm -hmm. um, pushed all the desks to the side, and because it's 24-hour sunlight and schools have windows, we had to black out all the all the windows in the classrooms. And so my crew was living in these like darkened classrooms. <laughs> it was, the, thank goodness, like the, the kind of people that sign up for that sort of adventure are just the best kind of people. So we just had a blast. Everybody really kind of bonded and the cast was also living in the school and so it was just this really kind of fun experience for everyone <laughs> but it was challenging for yeah. sure yeah. It sounds challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so what influenced uh you to not only you know create this film but also want to make it in within your community within your area of, of uh, Canada? yeah <clears throat> I just think it's such a beautiful place and, and not a lot of um, people have seen Nunavut uh, outside of the wintertime. And it was um, exciting for me to be able to make uh, a movie that just felt familiar in a lot of ways. I grew up obsessed with Spielberg and Goonies and E.T. And, and so those kinds of movies that I loved when I was a kid uh, in the place that I had adventures when I was a kid. And, and it was, you know, watching E.T., it's, you see Elliot and his brother Michael and their friends on their bikes in Southern California. It's like uh, me and my brothers could relate to them. It wasn't like even though we were in, lived in such a different place, we, we could relate to that story and the adventures that they would go on and we'd have our adventures on our bikes. And so it was it just made sense to me to kind of it's like if, if people can be relating to to these boys in Southern California, it's like uh, people can relate to us, too. Um, and to be able to to make something that, um, again, for, for my nephews, that just for them to grow up with something that felt like it was um, fun and also from their community was, was really special to me. How did you go about casting? Um, with casting, it was actually a bit of a, a challenge as well. Uh, in, in Nunavut, there aren't casting agents. Um, <laughs> yeah, <probably laughs> and not. There's not a ton of pr projects that are, are filming, so um, what I decided to do instead was have these acting workshops. Oh. And so I worked with Christine Tutu, who's a local theater actor, and she ended up working in my props department. Um, 
about the two of us held these acting workshops for young girls, basically inviting young women to come and explore acting. And I, I'm not an actor, but Christine was, and so we and we had these pages from the script that I had written for the proof of concept. And because I should say that before I made the movie, I made a little proof of concept because I hadn't directed. I had mostly been coming from a producer background and more from an interactive background, so um, I hadn't directed 2D, like traditional <laughs> video. Right. And so I knew that if I wanted to be directing um, a movie like Slashback, which was very ambitious, um, I had to show that I was the right person to take this on. And so I decided to make this proof of concept first with a short version of the movie, and that's when um, I kind of held these workshops and through that process found a few of the girls and, and a lot of those girls ended up being in the, in the feature and informing the script a lot too because uh, we just would hang out with them while we were writing and we'd go out, we'd watch scary movies and go out to cabins and ride on boats and it was, um, and, and just get a sense of what young people were going through, what these teenagers were going through, because um, it is a little bit different than when I was a teenager, but then also very much the same, you know? Right. Yeah. It was, it was um, interesting for us to kind of realize like, oh yeah, no matter what was going on, if there was an alien invasion, these teenagers are still going to be talking about boys. <laughs> 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 Just like teenagers anywhere. <laughs> um, and uh, and like that the you know certain social dynamics within friendships like can cause tensions and these kinds of things and, and that was really fun to kind of explore within the context of this you know, larger movie too. I'm curious if that's something that came like you had a script and then adjusted them to the circumstance or if they they had some influence on the writing structure. Yeah, and I would say definitely they had some influence on the on the characters and the um, kind of the emotional arcs of the of the girls it, definitely there was what kind of came through in the in the story was you know it's this girl these teenage girls facing this threat of alien invasion um, and then they have to um, and in particular Micah have to realize that they're um, that one their their communities worth saving and two that they're the ones uniquely capable of saving it and that they've got all these skills that make them really like, capable. And, and that kind of um, journey of, of from shame to pride, that was something that was just clear, uh, obviously from my own experience, having, um, and also just being a teenager. You're trying to figure out who you are and where you fit in. And then when you've got your indigeneity on top of that, it just is in, in, in the layer that affects the, the dynamics of a friend group too. Um, because everybody's kind of processing different things, and um, and we uh, in the process of casting, it was we would have these really kind of difficult conversations about pride and 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 shame, and it was um, important to kind of figure it, it, the the cast, the girls that ended up getting cast, uh, and Rory, who was a young teenage boy, um, they had to be. I knew that it would. I had to find people that would be able to do the work, but also be, have the emotional maturity to kind of have these conversations. Um, and it was, uh, but it was because we had known each other for so long, we developed the proof concept together, we worked together in the development of the script, we had a lot of trust amongst myself and the, and the teenage cast, and because it, it kind of started with us. We had this idea that we believed in, 
and then we had to go out and find the people to help us. It was, it, and it wasn't, like they had never acted before, I had never made a movie before, but we all believed in this idea and that we could do it. And, and so then, and we were doing it. We, it's like it was, um, it, was a, it, it was a really kind of interesting process for all of us to be kind of growing together in the, in the making of this movie. Um, and that kind of, um, I think, also just reflected the themes of like, Tassiana, who played Micah, talks about you know the pride she found in, in taking on this role, and, and that kind of echoing a bit of Micah's journey. Um, and it is so great to to see. Uh, we we showed the movie at South by Southwest, and Chelsea, who plays uh, um, Lena in the movie, she had beaded her own jewelry, yeah. and she introduced them. The she spoke to the audience in a nuktitut, and she had asked me before if she could do that, and and. I mean, nobody in Austin <laughs> understands the nuktitut, no. but it was like it was really it's so great to see them be so proud of where they came from and, and representing uh, mm -hmm. their community. Um, so that's it's just been so great to to be on this and see this whole um, uh, the, the whole kind of thing come together with with the girls and and how they're uh, becoming leaders in their community. Yeah, that was an amazing moment uh, at this premiere in South by to see the pride, and then just sort of feel it. Like you could really sense this sort of like <laughs> resilience and pride about who they are, where are they coming from, and they totally looked like rock stars. There's like this <laughs> South by poster that they stand in front of, and it's totally like. That's awesome. Yeah, it was so awesome. It was really, really impressive and really amazing, really beautiful. So like yeah. that was amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're really special kids, and and it's and it is interesting because it's not like we were treating it necessarily as a job. They were 14, 15. Nolly Joss, who plays Uki with the braids, she mm -hmm. was actually only 11 when we filmed, mm. um, which is crazy to me now because I see Frankie, <laughs> who's the youngest, she's now 11, and she was very. Frankie was a total professional when we were shooting. Um, <laughs> she really? was one that I could always, she's the only one that always knew her lines. Oh, like, it was totally. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. She, and she was, I mean, she was really good. She yeah. was a natural. She was it really was, good. Um, yeah, she was really, really good. Um, I, although, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I say that she was a total professional, but there were a couple times, of course, she was eight years old, where yeah. she was just over it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she, <laughs> and so we had to just, like, it, what happened is um, she loved candy. At a certain point, we had to take away candy from the um, craft table oh. at, at, in the morning because the kids would have sugar and go yeah. crazy and right. <laughs> crashing and so it's like we can't have candy until like four o'clock <laughs> and at the first time that first day that rule was implemented these kids have some per diem that they get and uh, Frankie slides over a $20 bill to a crew member and just goes keep the ca candy coming <laughs> <laughs> point where when she was having to be dragged by the bear at some point every yeah. time we do the take again I would have this bag of candy and I'd go before the take I'd bring over the bag of candy I'd say what one are you gonna choose and she'd pick out the candy that she's gonna eat after she does the take <laughs> she picks it out and then we go okay and action <laughs> give her the candy and then do another take wow. it's, it was um, yeah, so there were a couple of days where she was a little bit, uh, but being eight years old, I think that's totally fine. Um, <laughs> otherwise, it was really am amazing to kind of, uh, yeah, see though she, she was really, um, 
uh, even seeing her first audition, she was just really kind of natural. And she's actually the younger sister of Alexis, who plays Jessie with the yellow bandana. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I found her, um, because Alexis had been cast in the proof of concept, and then one day I was picking up Alexis for, from her house for rehearsals, and Frankie answered the door. She's like, hi, I'm Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. And it was just like, just couldn't stop talking. I was like, do you want to come with us? <laughs> and so she, she auditioned and was so great. And she actually arrived in the audition and um, she would wear these oversized sweaters that were like oh. men's big sweaters. And they would basically re they would be an inch or, or so above the ground. And then she would just like kind of, um, lower herself a little and it would touch the ground so she'd be completely <laughs> cocooned in this sweater and the style was so interesting that I was just like we have to we just I told the wardrobe person I was like we got to get her a big sweater <laughs> it's really funny the way she moves around in it um, and the less of style now you know the bigger the better <laughs> yeah she's ahead of her time and and that's a lot of action I mean they do a lot of stunts. Yeah, How, did you lots. have a coordinator? How did they? Yeah, we had a stunt coordinator. We had stunt doubles for the girls. Although um, the girls did a lot of, I mean, a lot of it is physical work that the girls were actually doing. Um, and especially Knowledge Asu again was 11 years old. She's carrying. She had a, a fight with a fox that you know is mm -hmm. on her own. She had some scenes like kind of exploring on her own. So she was. There were days where the other girls got days off mm -hmm. and she had to be filming on her own and they were challenging challenging stuff. There were shots where she's having to hold this big like thing on her shoulder mm -hmm. and it's like they, you, you see it for maybe 30 seconds in the movie but she's having to do that for days. <laughs> and it's like, um, it, it, so there, it's definitely, um, uh, it's it's physically challenging work. It's emotionally demanding work. They're away from their parents for a couple of months, away from their mm -hmm. friends. Um, but it was really great how the girls um, and Rory uh, that there there was such a um, respect amongst the kids. Like they would they, they would fight sometimes or you know have arguments or something. But they just really did respect and love each other. Um, and we were all there to kind of support each other through. So it was, um, yeah, the, the dynamic amongst the girls was, was really special. And, uh, but definitely some of those, um, even some of the, the issues that came up or something were, were things that might have been, uh, we kind of like, oh, that might be an interesting dynamic within, to explore within the friendship. Mm -hmm. um, and, there, it, and actually, the, um, Chelsea, who plays Lena in the movie, there's a scene where she, her mother kind of at the table asks for her cell phone and kind of goes through the cell phone at the dinner right. table and grounds her. And that's actually something that happens, that, that had happened to Chelsea. And she had told us about it and we included it in the script. And I remember at one point saying to Chelsea before the premiere, I was like, do your parents know <laughs> about the <this> scene? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, um, so we definitely did kind of borrow in, in, li in little moments um, just because, and, and we just, uh, uh, that, that was what was, um, you know, so great, I think, about the, the, the girls weren't their characters. T Tassiana actually was cast later. Um, un unlike the other girls, she kind of came on to the project a little bit later. So her, and she was actually cast as Uki first. Oh. And I had a, someone else cast as Micah, and, it, and then I changed a week before we started shooting. I, and, and part of it was, Knowledge, and Knowledge Asu, who was the 11-year-old, was not cast a week before we started shooting. 
Um, she had been cast in the Proof of Concept, so I'd wor I had it, and she knew all, so she knew all the girls already. Had a di had that dynamic, mm -hmm. um, and she knew me. I'd actually known her since she was a baby, um, but she had initially been cast as the younger sister, like as the as the role Frankie took. Um, and then between the time of when we shot the proof of concept and the time we shot the movie, she aged out of that mm. role. Oh, okay. And so I thought she wasn't going to be able to be in the movie, but I, I loved her and she had really influenced some of the, char it, it, the character dynamics. And so um, at, in the end, when I ended up seeing Knowledge Us um, just at the grocery store, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, whoa, you grew up really you grew up the summer. She had grown a lot, like, and all of a sudden was no longer looking like she was that much younger than the other girls that I had cast. Mm -hmm. So I was like, maybe I can cast her after all in, in the older group. And so then, and I always thought that Uki was the most challenging role. Um, and, and that's in part why I put Tessiana in it. And, but Tessiana was also I could, she, she, she was a Micah, it, 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 and so that, that kind of switch and bringing Knowledge Us in, um, it was crazy <laughs> to, to do last minute, but I think um, uh, Tessiana then had to completely learn a new character yeah. and, um, and did an amazing job, I think, and Knowledge Us did an incredible job having learned, the having had to come on board um, uh, she actually arrived in Peng a couple days later than the rest of the cast because she was about she wasn't planning to come with us and mm -hmm. then had to kind of change her summer plans. Um, and uh, luckily, I should say her mom is one of the producers on the movie, so was going to be in town in Peng. Mm -hmm. So it was it, she was having a, and uh, Frankie, who's the youngest, she always had a parent in Peng with us too. There, so um, and then it was Tassiana and Alexis that and Chelsea that. Their parents were working at Kaluit, so sometimes they would visit. But um, we kind of had, you know, parents. Uh, we kind of uh, between the parents and and my producers and I, we kind of uh, figured out a little system. And 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 we're yeah. all still like a little family. We've got our group chat, and and the parents and I are all very close, and the kids are all still very close, of course. And how long ago did you actually shoot it? Um, this summer will be three years. Oh gosh. Yeah, it's oh been wow. a while. Um, but we've been, we, the, the pandemic put, um, <laughs> we hadn't shot our, we had these winter, winter scenes, these flashbacks that we'd actually shot in Peng, but it was uh, in the script always meant to be shot in the winter, these, these, uh, winter scenes. And then I had also wanted to add in a opening death if I could. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, we were able to go, we, our, our plan was to go back and film, and to film those in March 2020. Mm -hmm. And obviously, mm -hmm. yeah. That, and we were like, oh, well, maybe in a couple of months, <laughs> yeah. it will be easier to travel. And um, when we realized that wasn't going to happen, in October, we sent a small crew, and we all had to quarantine because of the, mm -hmm. the overhousing issues in Nunavut and all these things. They were really strict about travel into the yeah. territory. So you, in order to get into Nunavut, you had to quarantine in a hotel for two weeks before you could get on a plane. And in the ho you're not allowed to go out in the hallway and interact with anyone. It was like we were so our, we had to pay for our crew to be isolated for two weeks wow. before we could go to Nunavut. And then we got there and were able to kind of do these, finish these final scenes. And then within the, uh, the edit, there was also you know I, I changed editors partway through. Um, and so, um, 
it actually, so, th so the movie really was finished, I guess, probably about a year ago, oh, okay. Um, okay. just over a year ago now. And then, um, and we had our, our premiere at South By at, uh, last March. Mm -hmm. And you can watch it on Shudder. Shudder, yep, Shudder in the U.S. And <laughs> U.K. <laughs> <laughs> so the, those young ages, they're, like what you're talking about, these young women kind of rapidly growing and changing, and you're kind of capturing that moment where that's happening. And they're probably very different young women now. Yeah. And I'm curious how they respond to themselves on the screen. Um, yeah, I, it, it is, um, it's, I think that it's, well, one of the things that the girls have said to me um, a few times is that uh, Tessiana says that she can tell the scenes that we filmed at the beginning versus the ones that we filmed at the end where she was getting more confident as an actor. Mm -hmm. um, and then they, they might say something like, oh, I wish we could just film it again because if, if we could do it again, then we'd be so much better. And no. I feel like that too. Like, <laughs> I, but I think that it's what's so important is us to, you know, to be proud of what we've done, mm -hmm. of course. And then also, I think it's great that we've got this example of where we were mm -hmm. when we made this movie. It was that it was our first thing ever. And it's, so, yeah, you can tell, but it's also like there's something I think kind of great in that in being able to track the growth and, mm -hmm. um, and that we can... Um, just be taking the lessons that we learned in the process of making this movie and just trying to get better mm -hmm. um, if we want to continue doing this stuff and um, and so yeah it's been really great and I, I know some of the some of the girls are wanting to, to pursue acting a little more some of them might you know be filmmakers themselves down the road or just you know Alexis is is set on being a pilot which is very cool, That's cool. <laughs> um, so yeah they're they're all so, such interesting um, uh, young women, they can all drive, they drive me around whenever I'm in town now. Have they all gotten the opportunity to go to these places and screen with you or yeah. just a couple of them? Yeah, so a few of the, uh, a, a few times we've been able to travel as a group, there's six main cast members. So there's the five girls, so the four leads and then the younger one. Um, and then Rory. And so I kind of, you know, if you want to, if you're going to bring one, you kind of, I feel like I, you, you know, you want to bring the whole group. So we've had some chances to travel together. Um, we went all into South by Southwest, which is so much fun. Um, got to do like the press kind of thing, which I think they kind of get a kick out of. <laughs> and then um, most recently we went to Sitges in Spain. And that was oh wow last, yeah that's it was, cool so we were all and, and it was just you know we all it, it was just really nice to be able to go to the beach and go to restaurants and hang out together yeah. and we're like we like being around each other it's mm -hmm. it, it's after like all these years we still just um, yeah we just we enjoy each other and and it's and then we got to see it with such an amazing the audience in such as is incredible because genre <laughs> they love genre and so every time there's a a death or a something there's or blood everyone's screaming and <laughs> so it was a really really fun experience and, and I think it's so great for the for the girls to be traveling and seeing these different kind the different ways that the the movies reaching people and um, uh, so yeah it's been really really 
fun to, to mm -hmm. do that with them. Alexis is coming with me to my home community next week. Um, and so that'll be fun for her because, uh, you know, the, Alexis is from Halui. And so going to Pang, it was really fun for some of the girls who hadn't traveled to some of the smaller communities mm -hmm. to be able to see, because it's a slower pace of life. You get like people, it, you get to go out on boats and just it's, it was really, I think, uh, just a good experience for them. And also just to be in a place where language is so important. And um, so, uh, yeah, even just traveling within our territory is, is I think, really special too. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing experience to learn all of those different elements about yourself, about this art form, about the larger region of your community, yeah. and then the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's really incredible. Yeah, it's really, really neat, especially because, you know, in Nunavut, it's like you know everyone. Like, and it's like this, um, and it's for them to kind of be. Uh, kind of, and and also just um, understanding. Uh, yeah, it was just even in, in, at South by Southwest. There was another. Uh, there were, I think, uh, a couple of short films that were by Inuit filmmakers as well. Really? And so it was just like kind of neat mm. for them to not. They were like, "Are we going to be the only Inuit at, at South by?" And I was like, "Well, probably. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's like I don't think there's many Inuit in Texas. Like, there's only there's only a couple <laughs> that I know of." <laughs> and so. So I was just, but then it was, um, and there were actually others. I mean, uh, Zach Quinnick wasn't there, mm -hmm. or because he wasn't, because uh, of the pandemic, he wasn't traveling. But it was, it was great for them to kind of see, um, and, and also just to see uh, other Indigenous films too. It's mm -hmm. really cool. That is something that's really interesting to me about just Inuit media. I mean, you, there's a rich history, you know, of just like mediation, television. Um, and movie making and you are now kind of part of that and it feels like you're this sort of like new step in a different direction like genre a and then also for you it's like a little bit of a change because you've shifted from new media of augmented mm -hmm. or virtual into like mm -hmm. fiction traditional theatrical single channel yeah. experience I'm curious if you have any thoughts about any of those kinds of like transitions? Well, I just, I love storytelling. I love exploring stories. I love, um, and, and, and so when I was younger, um, I kind of got into movies as a fan first. Like mm -hmm. I was just, a, I loved watching movies. My mom loved Hitchcock and she, I, I had a sleepover when I was eight years old and my mom rented the movie Birds for oh. us. <laughs> It's like a very scary movie for great for people in grade three. Um, yes. And so it was, and there's also the one of the most terrifying scenes involves children. Yes. <laughs> right. And we're like our age. This is why I'm still afraid of birds. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because of that movie. Yeah. On a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they do they do swoop down and attack. I heard like several reports in Canada. Like, yes. Just, like, <laughs> pigeons attacking it's people's crazy. heads. It's, yeah. And so it was. Um, and it was too, I remember being like, this is too scary. <laughs> um, but it was also kind of like this thrill of getting away with something. Like, you're allowed to watch this. And um, I don't know, something about that I just was really drawn to. And and, um, and so I just loved movies when I was younger and would uh, uh, then get my, you know, I, when I was in high school, I had, um, I had already kind of, 
you know, working with these teenagers, it's really interesting seeing how they're figuring out their identities at that age and then thinking back to me when I was a teenager and my love of movies and how that was kind of informing my identity um, and was starting to kind of write things and, um, and like, and, and then um, I had this opportunity at one point, there was a, what was called focus programs in my school district. It was different high schools had different kind of areas of focus so that one high school might have a radio program and another might have a theater program or, um, and there was a school that had a, like a film production program mm. and you could go for one semester to a different high school and in the morning you would take kind of these media classes and then in the afternoons you had access to digital cameras, uh, editing suites with Final Cut Pro um, and just the freedom to do whatever you wanted. And a lot of people in my class like did nothing. <laughs> but then oh. it was like some of us, but then it was like me and a couple of my friends, we just like, we just will make the stupidest movies and just like <laughs> go out and film whatever. And we'd be making movies about like my friend's dog killing all his family members oh. and just like, you know, <laughs> having people like spitting up ketchup and all of these things. It was like, um, it was just fun, and uh, but I remember even at that time I was taking like life so seriously, and like being, you had, when you're at that age, you're like feeling like you have to be making all these choices about mm -hmm. what your life is going to be. And mm -hmm. I, um, I think also I liked school. Uh, being Indigenous, I think there's this kind of idea that this I this idea if you're doing okay, then you're a role model to your peers or something. Yeah. It was like oh, a kind of this yeah. strange. Um, amount of pressure uh, to not mess up, mm -hmm. or that if I was, I was somehow, and, and, and I think that also kept me from communicating my struggles. So at that time, I was really, if I'm liking school, I should be a therapist or a psychologist, I should be doing mm -hmm. something that's, right. you know, helping my community in some larger way. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like movies just felt like so, um, I don't know, silly or something. And, uh, but I also, it was, I was so torn up because I also just knew I love movies more than anything. Mm -hmm. And um, so having that time in high school, even though it meant, because taking that program meant I didn't graduate with all my friends. I had just, because it, 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 at the time I took it, it meant it, having to take another semester mm -hmm. of school. But I think being able to do that and um, have the time to explore in kind of a low stakes setting just gave me um, the confidence to then go to to pursue film at, in, uh, at film school. But then I think, you know, when I, after I left school, I, I started working at uh, an indigenous, which was amazing, an indigenous owned production company. So it was an mm -hmm. indigenous woman who ran the company. All of her, all of the people that worked for her were indigenous. A lot of the, the content was made for Aboriginal People's Television Network. It's our kind of indigenous network in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just gave me a sense of like, oh, this is something that you could do as a, a you can have a company and, and, and make things. And, um, but then I was also um, at, got kind of went on a tangent with virtual reality mm -hmm. and 360 and interactive and augmented reality, um, mostly because I just really like it. It was, it was just something that I was really curious about and loved exploring it kind of felt a little bit to me like when I first discovered movies and making it with my friends where you're just experimenting. 
because no one had quite figured out how VR or, or 360 worked yet, and so there were no experts. And at first, they were saying like, "Oh, you can't have edits and things like that." But then you try edits, and it's like, "Oh, you can." And mm -hmm. and so it was like there was something very kind of fun and creative in that whole space, and this idea of you being able to do something that no one's ever done before. And I also just like the idea of being able to sit in characters or story and thinking about it in a different way. Um, when I was, uh, like even with Slashback as, a, just a, as an example, we're talking about it, teenage girls fighting aliens. You can see that as a movie, but you can also see how that would make sense as a video game mm -hmm, or yeah, like definitely. a virtual reality, something or other. And mm -hmm. I kind of went with VR. Um, I mean, it never really took off in the way that we thought it would. And there's lots of, lots of things that are still kind of limiting VR. And, um, but I think, uh, it kind of was, for me, I started thinking of it more as a way of, like an extension of 2D experiences, almost like a way to continue us thinking about characters or story. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I like, you know, just thinking about how the, that changes the story, depending on the, the medium and, how it, and, mm -hmm. and the creative ways you can be rethinking a story in a different setting. And like a comic book is, is a totally different way of presenting a story than, um, than a movie or, uh, or a video game. And that's, the, that's kind of where I, I am with those kind of interactive stuff. I still love kind of exploring those things. And um, I think that a part of me was like, oh, it kind of took me away. It took me away, because I, I feel like I'm kind of almost a little bit late to the game in, in terms of making movies, of taking a long time to make my first. I know that this is all, you're, you're <laughs> looking at me like, what? Um, <laughs> Because you were um, ahead of the curve on the <laughs> VR stuff yeah. and the augmented reality. I mean, uh, you know, that's just now becoming more <laughs> mainstream. Um, and, but I think, uh, you know, it's the, it, all of these things, you don't know how these different experiences will inform the, the work that you're doing or mm -hmm. how thinking about 360 sound design will inform the way you think about sound and movies. And, and so I, it just, you know, continuing to explore in different ways, I think, is is something that I just want to be able to make room for, I think. Um, it's just like a creative exercise, really. So you just like to jump from medium to medium? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's what I'm, I'm wondering if I might have ADHD. It's like, <laughs> oh, you know, join just, the club. switching focus. <laughs> I mean, that, that's actually, I mean, it's a very common thing today, especially for underrepresented communities, you know, like we have a lot of, like, Pitchapong Wirasetakud, the great Thai director. He like does museum work. He does installation work. He he like has a. There was like one building he kind of like orchestrated at a festival where you would go and check in as a hotel, and the walls were just screens of like imagery that he wanted people to sleep to. You know, <laughs> like that's a dense installation. Wow. And then he makes movies. He makes shorts and features, and it feels like this is part of the modern world today, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think we, we, traditional theatrical audiences, maybe the conventional American audiences, just have this one maybe narrow view of like, oh, we just go to the theater, I just watch it on my phone, I watch it on my couch. But makers know that there's these other spaces and it feels like you definitely have a good foothold of knowing where these other elements can reside and it feels like you have a great strength to be able to see how a story can 
unfold across all of these different areas, and that's a really great place to be, and that is already ahead of so many other people that I think need to, or could be thinking about that, yeah. you know, right now. Yeah, because they've just now, what is it, a few years ago, Never Alone came out, the, mm -hmm. the yeah. video game yeah. from <laughs> Cook Inlet, mm -hmm. and... Oh, with the echo and oh, and you did you, you did, did do Marvel. a comic book, yes. comic yeah. Also from Pang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's also just like another example. Is I was like, just at the time, really thinking about a lot about shamanism and mm -hmm. uh, and obviously was thinking a lot about Pang because I was thinking about Slashback and and it was just another when I when I was talking to a friend of mine who's a comic book writer that's what he does and and we were talking about potentially creating a new character he wrote for this cha this teenage superhero league called champions and I was already in this space of thinking a lot about Pang and then I had been thinking a lot about just the themes of shamanism I, I my great-great-grandfather was known as one of the sh last shamans and, and my community of Luluk had just lots of kind of shaman living there. And there are some re recordings from explorers having traveled to Iglulik, and, and so there's records of, of conversations with my great-great-grandfather. Um, and so I was thinking about, um, there's this concept of sila. Uh, I think there's actually, I was reading in a book here, there's a, something very similar in the culture here of this kind of connective energy that between all living things. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, it's this closer to us than our skin to our clothes, and it just connects all things like a breath. Sila, mm -hmm. it translates directly from Inuktitut to breath. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was just kind of exploring uh, those themes and then with the character of Snow Guard, it was like, oh, what could, I wonder how, like how could those translate into kind of a superhero? And, um, and so that was kind of fun to explore. And really, I, the, the reason I kind of decided to do that project, because I'm not a, a comic book writer, I don't, that's not something that I've, I've done before. And I do like comics, but I wouldn't, it's my little brother is the, the big comic book <laughs> yeah. Yeah. fan. <laughs> um, and, and he like, he actually, and so it was, um, but my nephews, it all comes back to my nephews, they're obsessed with Spider-Man. <laughs> My one nephew only, like, for uh, for two years, he would wear a Spider-Man outfit underneath all of his clothes, like, or just, like, wear the Spider-Man outfit with the little puffy muscles, like, <laughs> everywhere, to the movie theater, the grocery store, and, um, and uh, so one of the members of the Champions League is Miles Morales, and so sure. it was this idea that she could be hanging out with, with, with Spider-Man and Vision yeah. and all of these things. Yeah. And, um, and then I actually sent, we, the way comic books work, it's like so, there's so little oversight. You've got your editor at, the, at Marvel, but then there's the, the writers, and then you've got um, the person that's doing the, the artwork, the, the, so it's just the black and white, and then they've got they often will work with a colorist, and so mm -hmm. it's someone else doing the color. So you write the scripts that are descriptive and then also include the dialogue, mm -hmm. and then the artist will send you back the pencils, you mm -hmm. prove those, and then they make them into ink. And all of this happens very quickly. So it's like you send them scripts, and then a couple days later you're getting the pencil drawings, and you have like 12 hours to respond, oh, give wow. notes. And then 24 hours later you've got inks, and then 24 hours later, you got color. Like it's like wow. everything has to be responding so fast. And <laughs> then it's so out much on the pressure. No, one, no wonder the there's no oversight. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's out on the stands like the next week. It's, oh it's very wow. crazy. <laughs> wow, <laughs> faster than TV. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's pretty insane. And actually, the very first uh, panel of the first comic that I ever did, 
I didn't notice in the, until the inks that the artist had put little trees into the first panel of, oh. and it's supposed to be Pang, the community. And if mm -hmm. you go and you, yeah. you can right. find this comic yeah. online. Right. Um, but, and I was just like, guys, there's no trees there's no in Pang. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no trees in the Arctic. And because our artist was, in South, uh, was from South Africa. And so we were, uh, see, we were working all remotely. And so then by we, what we did is we changed it in the colors so it looks like rocks. Mm -hmm. But if you look at them, you're, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, those tr rocks look, look, look like trees. trees. <laughs> 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 and, but I also, what was fun is I also got to, um, my sister-in-law, so the mother of my nephews, I basically took, had her photos and I gave them to the artist in South Africa. And so the character kind of, she looks like, some people are like, oh, she looks like you. She did kind of change when we moved to a Toronto artist because um, mm. then I was meeting face to face with the Toronto artist, and she changed to have my haircut and looked a little <laughs> bit more like me. But she, the original, was uh, is, is based on my my sister in law, which is um, and so it was just again this idea of my nephews having a superhero that's like their mom. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And what's the name of the comic again? I know it. Uh, the character is Snowguard, and the it's the Champions League. The Champions um, League, yeah. And, and, and then the there was also so it's over the course that she's features in a bunch in a bunch of the comics. Um, but then there was one, uh, what's called an annual. It's like a kind of a special edition. It's slightly longer, and that was a Snowguard specific annual. Okay. Um, and and it's a part of the Native Voices. No, Is that was um, afterwards. Uh, the native uh, part of the Native Voices. They asked me if I would be interested in writing, and and at that point I was able. They were open to me um, doing something that wasn't Snowguard, but it was. I I thought it was neat to kind of go back to Snowguard, and so that was something that. But um, the annual I co-wrote with with Jim Zub, who I co-created the character with. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the same along with the, the comics. And so when I did the Native Voices, that was the first time that I was really doing Snowguard on my own. And so it was a little different kind of pressure. Uh, I, I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And, and then, I, then when I started thinking about it and having to come up with the story, I was like, oh shoot, people are actually gonna read this. <laughs> <laughs> It kind of should be cool. And so then I was just like, um, I definitely uh, had a few different ideas of what the story would be. And, um, but then once I kind of, once I figured it out, it ended up being a lot more um, fun, but a lot more challenging than I expected it to be. So it was, it was really um, cool to kind of uh, try and, uh, and luckily, like I said, my little brother is, is the comic book guy, so I could I could go back to him, and and he's also someone that does my storyboards. We've got a really great relationship, so I could go to him for advice. <laughs> That's awesome. And Jim Zeb too was of course able to get, give me some advice along the way. So. <laughs> Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's and even just to get to to learn alongside someone like Jim about the how to how to go about writing a comic. It was mm -hmm. really really interesting and. Um, he kind of breaks it down into these columns, like one, two, one, two, and it's like you kind of write the action. He like puts like these. It's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and numbers it, and it, you kind of list. He kind of goes through like what's happening on this page, what's happening on page two, and you can kind of see it in these like because you when you're the thing about comics is when you're reading the left page, you can't help but also see what's happening on the right. You're, you might get right. some spoilers, and so it's it's like you have to kind of write it out so that it's okay that you're seeing what's ahead. 
but then you're utilizing this page flip, which is the only thing that the mm -hmm. audience is in control of. And that's and so it's like how can you make the action so that it's the page flip is part of the the kind of the the storytelling. So it's right. like if the mm -hmm. fight is happening, you want the resolution to happen after the page mm -hmm. flip. Right. Oh. And it was like just really kind of interesting thinking about oh yeah like the the the, the story and and then obviously having to kind of work within the limits of a page. You could have eight panels on a page, or you could have one panel on a page, and and how you kind of visually lay it out. It's it's mm -hmm. it was interesting just to think of. Oh yeah, it's just like like movies, like like a podcast. It's like some form, and mm -hmm. you have to kind of adapt it to that. Do you think you're going to continue in that direction of comic book work? Um, I and don't know. I think I think I would definitely ha explore it further. Um, all of this stuff is such collaborative work. Um, so, like, I, for instance, my I work a lot with Alethea Arnaparel. She's a good, amazing documentary filmmaker, and she's she's writing narrative stuff now too. She's a producer, mm -hmm. and uh, she was one of my producers on Slashback, mm -hmm. and she loves comics. And so, I, if she and she and I have like discussed, oh, we should like come up with a graphic novel and do something together. And and if it was something like that, that I would be totally down. Uh, and I think we could do something really fun and cool. Um, but it's kind of, it's, for me, it's more about like, oh, if it was the right idea, the right kind of partnership, and, and mm -hmm. then I could, could see myself exploring that for sure. Mm -hmm. It's cool that you've also linked this to sort of like your own lineage. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like that, uh, this idea of shamanism and sort of understanding a very specific, like cultural perspective, but it's also intimate, it seems like, to family. And it feels like you're continuing a, a family relationship in that snow guard is essentially kind of like a oh, family member. Yeah, that's so that's a really nice way of thinking of it. Um, yeah, I, it is it is um, like it is n nice. I think to be thinking of our like of our elders and mm -hmm. thinking of uh, of their experiences and yeah, it's it's been really nice to kind of connect to that and it, and I think that that is a big just part of all of this work. I think that if, uh, even with my second film, it, it feels very, uh, it, Slashback was very personal. In a lot of, in, in obvious ways of, you know, the, of the character and, this, and her father and all of these different things. But then even in, there's like um, all of these ways we were using metaphor. I mean, I went through a really kind of scary health thing. Um, I needed a, a liver transplant. This is a movie about this, this alien invasion mm -hmm. that looks a lot like a messed up liver <laughs> <laughs> invading this place and mm -hmm. these girls having to decide to, mm -hmm. to fight. Mm -hmm. um, and so, it, and then in different, so it was, that was kind of a therapeutic process. Um, the second script very much was a therapeutic process for me. Um, I'm thinking I've got an idea for a third movie that involves witches, which I love, and I'm already, it's like the, it's a way for me to just kind of process some stuff. And I think um, what is, even if it's not obvi necessarily obvious the ways in which some of the things are autobiographical, like I've obviously never dealt with an alien invasion, <laughs> but it's like, you know, that there are those things are, it, it just kind of is just something that kind of seeps into the work almost um, without me knowing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and, and you say you've never dealt with an alien invasion, but I think we all have in our cultures. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, and that's another kind of, it was just like a fun, you know, it's another kind of interesting thing to explore and, and why I'm 
kind of thinking, oh, maybe I'm not quite done with Slashback yet. Is mm -hmm. like I, I love this idea of us facing. Intruders. Intruders, yeah. And being able to repel them. Yeah, and, and growing, and I loved aliens when I was a kid too, and I would love hearing about alien abductions. <laughs> yeah. <and> like, yeah. <laughs> but just these kind of this, um, the ways in which it kind of mirrors mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. colonization in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really amazing that it's like colonization, but that also like the time in which it comes out, it's like just after we had been wrestling with this issue of like the pandemic and it was working also on this level of this invasion of something that made people sick in the community yeah. you know yeah. and then fighting that off and I was like this is really amazing that's working on those two levels at this moment and it's completely coincidental but like, <laughs> yeah uh, that was yeah. really interesting mm -hmm. really amazing <laughs> but you're talking about uh, alien invaders this is an alien film yeah. There is this, um, I I'm going to shift into just like history that I hear about like Inuits and UFOs. <laughs> okay. Do you guys oh. have any stories about this? Because I, I mean, there's like this, you know, there's this white explorer that like has this theory that they, like this one abandoned community uh, was related to a series of lights that he saw up in the sky. This is like the 1930s. And you're not talking about the northern lights. No, that, that, that was something that, oh, like, the Canadian Mounted Police were like, this is not, no, no. Oh, oh, those lights don't I move like a, this. I feel like I maybe heard a podcast about this or yeah, something. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Oh. But I'm just curious if there's, like, stories about, you know, I mean, in the film, they align it with a traditional story. And I'm curious about those two things, like, what the other traditional stories are. And then if the, if the community has these experiences of, like... Yeah. Paranormal phenomena. Well, there are definitely lots of mythology of our stories. It's so, um, it, it is really interesting because there's just so much of um, these creatures or spirits. If, if you think about um, when Christianity was introduced, how it would have been seen as uh, being able to pray to this like benevolent God who, if you pray then they'll answer your prayers it would have been such a relief because with Inuit mythology it's like you know, there's r rituals and taboos but our spirits could just have a bad day mm -hmm. or they could just be angry and like uh, and t and take things out and, and and or and you had there were certain kind of so that a lot of these scary stories and also just the environment is very threatening mm -hmm. um, and so there are so many different kinds of, of creatures I did ask um, Zach Konak, who directed that, and um, I, I, I had spoken with him in Natak, who ended up playing the fisherman. Natak is he plays Atenarjuat in the movie Atenarjuat. Um, he's they're this they're both from my home community of Iglubik. It's mm -hmm. where my dad lives, and and Natak and I are cousins or something, second That's cousins. Cool. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and so I had been asking them specifically about um, if there are any stories about aliens. They didn't have anything necessarily, but there are stories about like, the moon and it being a protective source for women and children. Mm. And then I was also, that kind of got me thinking, oh, well, but it happens when the moon goes away with the 24 hour sunlight. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, yeah. and, um, and then there was also a word that was similar to aliens that, that um, when the sun came back, that, uh, that there was a tradition for hunters to be shooting at the sun 
uh, when it came, when it rises up again. Mm -hmm. I don't, it, 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 I didn't really kind of understand, but in that there was like a, and that he said the word was like similar to what they would call aliens. Mm -hmm. And I did try and kind of, um, there weren't necessarily abduction stories that I, although, I mean, there are stories of, in my home community of people like, taking people samples of Inuit skin mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. see if it can be transplanted onto other people's bodies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So um, weird experiments that have happened mm -hmm. in the Arctic. Mm -hmm. um, and but what I what I also love so much about going up in a place like Nunavut is we've got all these stories that we talk about them. We don't talk about them like they're stories. Mm -hmm. And we hear from like you can talk to a hunter who is just like you know your friend's dad, who's the most practical person ever, mm -hmm. and he'll tell you about going out hunting and seeing Sedna, and it's like I was going to ask if you guys had Sedna, <laughs> yeah. And so you're um, or seeing a Khadlupidui, uh, which are these women that live underneath the, the ice and steal mm -hmm. children who get too close to cracks in the ice. Mm -hmm. um, there's the Iraq, which are shapeshifters, and mm -hmm. they can take over the body of someone you love and make them act differently which is something that we kind of carried mm -hmm. in, in into into the story um, but that also can be applied to a lot of things that can be introduced and then make someone you know act differently yeah the the eoth and the the shapeshifters that you can only identify if they've you can tell if they've got some there's like red eye that redness to their eyes that they're not who you think they are um, and uh, so just and these kinds of stories and stuff just hanging out with the kids like they would just it's like playing hide and seek you know you, you incorporate these things into the into the games mm -hmm. and now you're you're now part of this tradition of telling these stories <laughs> yeah it's what I love and, and that's the um, the thing about so much of our stories, it was to, uh, to entertain uh, and scare. Mm -hmm. Like fear mm -hmm. as entertainment is a big part of our stories. And, and, and because we um, spent so much time inside in small spaces together in igloos mm -hmm. or tents, it's um, so much of our, our games and stories are you know, really about being together. And, and there are lots of games like both laughter, laughter games and, and fear games, but, mm. but that kind of are the same. It's like you're trying to scare people into laughing, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and so it's, it, it's interest, it was kind of fun to be able to yeah, think that we were kind of continuing that tradition a bit. Well, and like Inupiaq have the, the story that takes over a month to tell. <laughs> with kayak, you know, because yeah. what else are you going to do? Yeah. Mm. When it's dark and yeah. you're sitting inside in a, what else are you going to do? That's amazing. That's you're going to tell form. a really long story. Yeah. 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 Get that into Alaska Daily. That's like Alaska Monthly. <laughs> <laughs> well, any other questions? No, I, I don't. I think, I mean, I, I was really curious about the Marvel. And, and how that came about, really, you know. And yeah, the Marvel yeah. thing is really funny. It usually is the, the thing I know least about <laughs> in terms <laughs> of, like, because the, the real, like, comic book nerds know everything about comics. And so I know about the characters that, I, I know about Snow Guard and, and the, the situations they're in, but I don't know Visions, 
right. what she was doing 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And but these people will come up to me because Snow Guard's Vision's roommate, they're like, oh, what do you think of this? And I'm just like, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it sounds it, great. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> You're the important thought. <laughs> it is really, it's, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see, uh, of course, I mean, Marvel is just, it's, it's, such, it's a big brand that it's very recognizable and people love a lot. So it's, it's, it has been, but you know, it, it was also very interesting right when the character came out to see from audiences on, like nerds on Twitter immediately being like, was, were there indigenous people involved? Did they get paid the same as that? It was like people cool. were, oh, awesome. and this is not indigenous people too. Really? Like were wanted, um, or I think they just were expecting mm. kind of more from the company. Yeah. 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 That's good. Mm -hmm. Let's hold them accountable. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have, I do have a question about this kind of support that you get from the Canadian government mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for yeah. making media because there's no, there's not really any kind of that program through the United States, which yeah. I think has impeded a lot of the new media that we can tell. Yeah, I think that there is some definite, um, I mean, I really, really strongly believe in supporting the arts and fu publicly funding the arts. And um, and I think that especially when um, and when, you, when you've got that as a, if the country has decided this is important, that, that our stories are important, that we have you know, our own television networks and that we're making our own stuff, mm -hmm. um, and then that that's publicly funded, there is a responsibility then to be making sure that it's equitably distributed, and that is different than if it's a commercial endeavor only. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and so it, it, there is some weird stuff to navigate within the kind of the political stuff, being indigenous and a producer and, and at risk of, you know, especially, I, but I think things have changed um, a lot in recent years. Um, and uh, and the, really with the shift of um, narrative screen sovereignty um, and the idea that we should be able to tell our own stories, authentic representation, these kinds of things that we've been talking about within the indigenous greens community for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And it used to kind of just, people kind of like nod and smile when we said it, now they're the ones coming to us and, and using this language. It's mm -hmm. a kind of a different, it's a very different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, and what that has done is it made it a little like, because a lot of the time if there was funding that people could see, um, it might be easier to get funding for Canadian um, made stuff if there's indigenous themes oh. and that might mean that they would in order to then they would try to get an indigenous producer attached and it felt there was a tokenization happening the mm -hmm. power dynamics were strange and so I think that, that this shift has helped with that in, in, this, in kind of establishing the ways we should be in control of our own stories um, and and so that's been a really kind of a nice shift and, and um, so but Public funding in general in Canada, there is fun, there are funds and grants available if you wanted to make a short film. That actually, short film is probably one of the hardest things in Canada to finance. There's web series would be easier, hmm. um, but there are grants. Like if you wanted to get a web series made, you could if it was hmm. good enough. Um, if you are uh, wanting to make a feature film, we have an organization called Telefilm, and 
actually, if you're an American producer and are curious about, you know, you can also be, there, we have co-productions. You can work with American producers and, oh. and as long as you are following the telephone guidelines, be accessing this money as well mm -hmm. if you have a Canadian mm -hmm. producer. Um, but they'll finance up to 50% uh, of the movie. So you oh, still wow. have to wow. find the other 50%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and these movies are, you're never gonna get an $80 million Canadian movie. It, so these are, if you, but it's like, if you've got a movie that's under 10 million, or if under, in, in, in Canada, sure. or, you know, and you can get it financed. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have, you know, tax credits and some different things that can kind of help but then there was always going to be a bit of gap financing that you have to find. Mm -hmm. um, but to find 25% gap financing instead of having to find the whole, the whole pie, right. it's, it's, it's a lot easier. And if you've got that 75% funded, you, it's easier to go and get that 25%. Mm -hmm. Do any of the tribes get involved in the production? That's a really interesting thing. Uh, not necessarily, although um, with we now also have in Canada the Indigenous Screen Office and the Black Screen Office, and mm. those are organizations that can also deliver funds. And so um, the Indigenous Screen Office can you can apply for a feature film and get up to four hundred thousand dollars. And so if you're uh, if you're trying to find that gap, mm -hmm. maybe that's all you need is that $400,000 and then it's like your movie's finance. Mm -hmm. And when, when you don't have access to equity, like, right. and, or you don't have like a rich uncle to call, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but so, um, but I think that wi with the Indigenous Screen Office, um, they're really curious to explore um, community-led projects, d w different ways of making movies and, and um, uh, and so I think that they're d definitely curious about working with um, specific, I mean, com communities could, could, oh. could come together as a community project yeah. to yeah. apply for funds. Very cool. Hmm. The, uh, the music of Tagak oh. yeah. and Hallucination. Yeah. What can you talk about? Yeah, so I had worked with Hallucination, formerly called Tribe Called Red. Mm -hmm. um, previous to Slashback, I had done a, a virtual reality music video for one of their um, uh, songs. And uh, so that was really fun, and Bear and I became good friends. Tim and I you know, got, became friends as well. And, um, and uh, Bear's a huge nerd. He is obsessed <laughs> with sci-fi, obsessed with, like, um, he, he's a toy collector. He mm. is, he'll tell me, like, oh, well, I have to go toy shopping, and I need to get two, one for me to keep in the packaging and one yeah. for me to play with. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, can right. we just rewind for a second and talk about that? You play with your toys? <laughs> um, so, and he, so he was someone that I always knew would be into this idea. Um, and then it was, I had had my transplant, I had, got, had really gotten really sick, had a, had a transplant, and then um, as soon as my doctors allowed me, to cleared me to fly, it happened to be that there was this, um, across the United States, this uh, total eclipse that was happening in, oh, yeah. in mm -hmm. 2017. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember that. And yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so um, Dan, who was one of my producers on Slashback, and Bear, um, we flew to s Seattle. And we were like, we're gonna go, <laughs> we're gonna go see this. Yeah. Uh, it, this eclipse, so we went, got to Seattle, and we drove however we had to drive to get to the point of whatever right. it was. And um, it was amazing. It was really a cool experience. I'm really glad we did it. But it was, it, it was at that kind of hangout that I, I had 
this idea. Dan knew that I had an idea for a movie, and um, I was talking to some other producers, and he was kind of like, well, I want to produce it. And so, and then Bear was like, well, you know, I feel like Tim and I could probably come up with something cool. And I'm like, are you asking to do music for this <laughs> movie? Because the answer will always be yes. yes. <laughs> yes. And, and so then when we actually did get off the ground and we were able to have those guys be involved, it was just such, such an amazing kind of thing. And they already, I'd, I'd had a relationship with Tanya, but they also have a relationship with Tanya Tagak. And, um, and then talking to Tanya about the idea, she loved it. And I kind of, kind of was asked throughout the idea of like using some of her voice Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, for the creatures and stuff like that. And so she loved that idea yeah. Yeah. and gave us all this access, um, like hundreds of hours of, of just different vocalizations that she'd done. And then wow. the guys at Tribe actually um, manipulated them, turned, like reversed them. So there's like Tanya's voice in reverse. A lot of times when you're hearing kind of creatures about to approach, wow. you'll kind of hear that. Oh, cool. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, and then we were able to include a cool song that, that she had done with, with the hallucination band as well. That's really amazing. That cool. And there's like this um, interesting thing that's going on with like, if she's there and her voice is on the screen, there's sort of like this duality. If she could vocalize with herself, I think that would be kind of <laughs> really amazing. <laughs> but that's really cool to, to hear it in the animals. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah incredible. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was really fun. Yeah, now that I know all this stuff, I'm, I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to seeing it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we usually wrap these up by asking a couple of questions. Okay. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? I don't know. I think, um, you know, a big thing for me when I, I, I used to be so, um, put a lot of pressure on myself and was really almost overly ambitious. I think... Um, and you know when I, I talk about my angst when I was a teenager um, and, and these I, and, and I, talking with um, my cast has been so helpful you know say, to, in giving going through this process with them because you know people will journalists will inadvertently say things like oh you guys are such role models and I kind of am in there being like oh no don't do they, you know they, they can mess up all they want they're not perfect it's just like you know the, the, this this pressure um, is uh, that um, I, I think that that's something that it really kind of took me getting sick to to start to realize like Oh, like all of these things that I'm stressing out about, and that I think are so that I'm that, that I think are so important. Like they actually none of it matters. <laughs> the things that are actually important are you know the people you're with, mm -hmm. um, and and it was <clears throat> I had been at that point pretty much just working as a producer, supporting other people in the making of their stuff, and and oftentimes it was is the indigenous, only indigenous person on a project. And, mm -hmm. and when I got sick, I realized you know what, I'm only gonna do things that I'm really passionate about. Because um, if I'm gonna work this hard, I love work. If I'm gonna work this hard, it's gotta be something that I'm like obsessed with, that I love, mm -hmm. and that it feels like it's filling me up. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and I think that that's um, uh, just something I'm trying to always remind myself you know, because things can get busy and seem important, but then it's also just like a reminder, you know, God, it's just movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not great everything. Advice. No, it's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. 
And then the other question is, what are you consuming, reading, listening to, whatever that's inspiring you right now? Oh, um, I'm loving going to see movies. I've been seeing some great movies lately. Um, just this past week, I feel like I've watched some good ones. I watched Tar and After oh, Sun. Yeah. Um, uh, both I loved a lot. Uh, yeah, it's inspiring to kind of see other the d different approaches to um, to movies and I think sometimes it can get a little bit overwhelming like there's so many op options so many ways of shooting something how can you do like but then um, it, but it's also exciting too um, uh, loving reservation dogs of course <laughs> best. yeah what, what else am I? I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly just uh, absorbing things. I, I'm, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm always consuming. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Quiana, for being here. We appreciate Thank it. You. We're so excited that you're here in Oklahoma. I'm really happy to be here. It's been great. And we're looking forward to the screening tonight. Thanks, yeah. Um, anything else? And looking forward to the next work. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> and so thanks to our listeners. Remember to find us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Real Indigenous and Instagram at Real Indigenous Pod. And like and subscribe. <laughs> and remember, don't so just, just keep, keep it, it real. real. Keep, keep it, it real, real Indigenous. indigenous.